This week on episode 497 of Priority One, we trek out how Viacom CBS is an arms dealer in the streaming wars, Ron Moore's latest adventures, and rumors fresh off the mill. Then in gaming, Star Trek Online gets reactionary with its newest legendary ship offerings, and we finally break down our review of the anniversary's featured episodes. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 497 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, February 16th, 2021, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 19th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Tony. And filling in for Kat this week, who's spending her time at Rurapente, is our social media specialist and Armada live streamer, Anthony. Always a pleasure to be here. Welcome back. This week, we want to welcome new listeners to the show and hope you'll stay in touch. Given that we're a podcast built by a community of Star Trek fans, it's important that we also hear your opinion. Be sure to follow us on places like Twitter and Facebook, where we post weekly community questions, special announcements, and more. Just watch for Priority One Podcast on your favorite app and you'll find us. Or email us. You can reach out to us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Like Anthony said, this is a community podcast produced by a team of volunteers that dedicate their time and talent each and every week, from audio editors to writers to your very special hosts and guest hosts, we come together each week because we are passionate about the Star Trek multiverse. And like any passion project, it's hard to keep things running at no cost. So if you find value in this production and want to help us continue to grow, check us out at our Patreon page. There you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. But we understand that financial contributions might be tough right now. Which is why our door is always open to other passionate Trekkies who might be interested in joining our team. From audio or video editors to artists to hosting. That's right, the hunt is on for a new voice to join our team. So if you've got a lot to say about Star Trek, we encourage you to visit our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, and click on the Join the Team link at the top. There you'll find a description of available positions you can contribute to. And if you are a listener of this show and happen to be a member of the BIPOC and or LGBTQ community, we hope that you'll seriously consider applying. Necesito más personas que le encanta Star Trek y que también son Latino. Ojalás. It's important that we make every effort to represent all corners of the Star Trek community. So remember, that site is PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jump what places. I don't know. Then let's check it out. As the streaming wars heat up, so does the struggle to keep highly talented show creators 
locked into deals at a single production studio. J.J. Abrams made headlines recently, jumping from Paramount to Warner Brothers. And now The Hollywood Reporter is saying Star Trek alum Ronald D. Moore is making a move. Having produced shows for both Stars and Apple TV under Sony TV, Moore has secured a deal with Disney's recently acquired 20th Television, where he will start with a recreation of a Swiss Family Robinson series for Disney+. Moore seemed very excited about the move, saying, quote, I grew up loving Disney movies, TV shows, and theme parks, and I still do to this day. So the chance to work on some of the same classic titles like Swiss Family Robinson was an opportunity I just couldn't pass up, end quote. Moore will remain involved with both Outlander on Stars and For All Mankind on Apple TV, the latter of which has just premiered its sophomore season. In an exclusive interview with TrekMovie.com, Moore talked about the creation of the show, how they ride the line of an alternate reality space race while keeping it recognizable, and how working on Star Trek taught him how to write for television and the importance of diversity. For All Mankind is set in a fictional reality where a Russian cosmonaut was the first human to set foot on the moon and how that event would affect the subsequent space race to follow. Quote, Star Trek basically taught me everything about writing for television in a lot of ways, and we did a lot of time travel episodes. We talked internally about a lot of history, a lot of alternate history ideas, end quote. One of the biggest changes with this fictional reality is the diversification of the NASA astronaut crews nearly 15 years earlier. Moore said that was one of the core concepts of the show, to make a bigger and better space program. Quote, and why is that better? We're creating a better world. To bring it back to Trek, it's the road to Star Trek. So what does the road to Star Trek entail? It entails becoming a better society, end quote. For more information on Moore's move to Disney and the full interview with Trek Movie, the links are in the show notes. I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely loved the first season of For All Mankind. I am currently re-watching the first season in anticipation for uh, the second season, which comes out this Friday. And I've also introduced it to my wife, who has been enjoying it as well. So yeah, you know, Ron Moore just creates really good television. And I'm kind of excited to see him jump over to Disney and what he can do there. I think Disney has been blasting off, you know, as a streaming service and will continue to do so. I think I just read an article recently that they're scheduled to overtake Netflix subscriptions in the U.S. in in 2026. So um, so we'll see. This should hopefully be part of it. They've got a little time then. They've got some time. What you're saying is Netflix has a little time. Okay. I will say I will say this about these articles is that I'm really sad that he's not working on Star Trek. I think this is an absolute missed opportunity. And either, I mean, this could have happened one of two ways. Either Paramount, Viacom CBS never approached him or they approached him and Ronald D. Moore said, hell no, not touching that with a 10-foot pole. And not, and I don't think it would be because he doesn't appreciate the Star Trek franchise, but because of the drama. Well, it's the rules too that you have to play by to an extent, which which Discovery tends to break sometimes. You know, Ron Ron Moore is is you know, is is credited as as talking about how really dramatic scenes that they wanted to do in Star Trek got got axed because of canon or because of techno talk. And so, you know, he even said when he created Battlestar Galactica that he wanted to get as far away from that as he could. And he wanted to ground that show in as much reality as possible. And I think that's the real reason why he doesn't want to return. Although I say that, but after watching the DS9 documentary and seeing him in that, you know, season eight writer's room where they broke the first episode story, he seemed pretty happy about that. And I, you know, if this deal with Disney didn't go through, I wouldn't, I would not have been surprised if he, if they 
talked him back. Never. Money and bad robot slash Kurtzman slash all those guys. He is way too expensive to hire for Star Trek and the the creative clash that would occur between between Alex Kurtzman and and more would one of them would not survive. And that that whole situation has been uh, one upheaval into the next between all the reshuffling of all the producers and Discovery. So they, they couldn't afford to have that kind of a clash and it's 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 better for all concerned if more just stays away and so I, they, and he would be way too expensive anyway uh, and I suspect that uh, they may be, they may give Ronald Moore Swiss Family Robinson because that's what they had ready to go that's what was baking right now I suspect they're saying and the next show rummage in the toolbox and see what you'd like and then play with that I, that would be for for a guy like Ronald Moore. That's the attraction for Disney, is that play nice with this thing because it's ready to go. Show us what you can do. Make us a show. Show us how you run a show nicely. Then rummage through the toy box and see what you like. That's what I'm, that's what I'm excited for. We've been talking on the show for a while now about CBS All Access, soon to be Paramount+, Plus, and how the broadcast home of Star Trek fits in among the plethora of streaming services out there. At least, that's what Viacom CBS CEO Bob Backish calls it. We've talked in the past about how CBS has been a lot more cavalier with licensing its extensive live to other services. I can still watch Star Trek reruns on Netflix, for example. However, they've made it a habit to sell off their new content as well. According to an article on Bloomberg.com, they've sold an Aaron Sorkin drama to Netflix and a movie about Billie Holiday to Hulu. Oh, and that Coming to America sequel? Paramount made it, but Amazon is going to distribute it. And maybe worst of all, they sold a popular Western-themed series called Yellowstone to Peacock. Yeah, Peacock! According to the article, licensing deals like that account for nearly a quarter of the company's revenue. And with movie theaters closed and the stiff competition among services, that's money they can't afford to just give up. They can't even pay to get their stuff back. According to the article, Peacock wouldn't release Viacom CBS from the Yellowstone deal. So they're just going to make a prequel. Because if there's one thing Viacom CBS and Paramount Plus know how to do, is how to do reboots and prequels that everyone loves. I, I swear, I don't have a degree in business, but I'm at a point now where I'm starting to think I could run Viacom CBS much better than what they're doing. I, I, look, I don't, I try not to speak so highly of myself, but Jesus. To be fair to them, they've painted themselves into a little bit of a corner. CBS All Access has been around since 2014, and it wasn't like a big thing seven years ago to do this. So they started off making money and making deals with people because they had an extensive library, right? This was their business model when it, when it, when things got started. It's just that the rest of the world has just blazed past them really fast, and now they're trying to play catch up. Like they painted themselves in a the corner here. They're trying to get themselves out of it, but it's it's uh, their their investors are impatient. Uh, competition is fierce, and their library of old stuff is going to be mined for the new things they can make out of it, like prequels to the stuff they sold to other networks. Which, wow, that's like that, that, that is that is that is history repeating itself right there. My God, my you know I there's so much about this Viacom CBS rebranding and the the platform that is just so wanting. I mean, CBS All Access as it stands. We haven't seen the new platform yet. Paramount Plus we may haven't. be awesome. We haven't. I really hope that Paramount <laughs> Plus is awesome. I'm not going to hold my I breath. I thought you just said Paramount Plus might be awesome, but it, continue. It, it, it could be. It, it could, could be. be. It could be. But first of all, we already know, and this is uh, from uh, uh, 
Yahoo News that CBS All Access, the app, will come off of second and third gen Apple TVs and Paramount Plus won't be available at all on second and third gen, on third and fourth gen Apple TVs. So like what? The only way to do it is to have the app on your phone and then cast to the Apple television. That's, 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 I think that's a mistake, number one. And then number two, I just finished watching The Stand, which is another CBS All Access show, exclusive show. Why is that in 4K and not Star Trek? I mean, it just, there's so much wanting. There is so much to be left to, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't, my can't head even. explodes. You can't even. I can't even with them anymore, man. Can't even with that business. The, the, their, their strategy here is a legacy one. They're trying to dig themselves out of it. I think, though, that the taking them off the old Apple stuff is indicative of the fact that they're trying to up their technology. It's probably because the new uh, app won't be con- uh, compatible with the older hardware. They've got updated this, the, the feature set, whatever. That may be a good indication that they're trying. Whether or not they succeed is yet to be determined. We'll know more on February 24th, according to the article. They're going to have some more details uh, ahead of the launch, uh, March 4th and 5th. So we won't have we won't have it in time for next week's show, but uh, the week after. I don't know. You may be right that some of the horsepower underneath needs to be a little more powerful to run it. But Stevens in the chat makes a really good point that for anyone who's not tech savvy and doesn't know how to use AirPlay, that's that's a barrier to entry. That's a significant barrier to entry. And just for the record, like we said, it was a a Yahoo Finance article. It's the second and third generation Apple TVs. The second generation Apple TV came out in 2010. All right, that one I can kind of like, uh, okay, maybe you're due for an upgrade. The third generation came out March 2012. So that's eight years. I don't know, man. Even the, I get it. Eight years is is asking, is quite old. But still though, it's a streaming box. I mean, when was the last time the Roku was significantly updated just this last year. Just this last year, the uh, the Roku saw an update. But prior to that, the Roku was fine. Maybe you couldn't handle 4K. <laughs> that shut him up. <laughs> yeah, they should they should should be able to. But what I'm saying is that they have probably maxed out the capabilities of their current platform, and they're scrambling to do something new. Yo, they, this new platform better be damn good if you can't play it on second and third gen Apple TVs. This 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 better be some kind of. M- miraculous rework of the interface and the app that would require somebody to upgrade the Apple TV just to have it work. I mean, seriously. Well, no, no, week or two. I, you know, it's funny because I was very gung ho about CBS All Access when it first came out, and I know it. It definitely had some bugs. I think they've worked out a lot of the problems. But now I'm like, okay, you just, you know, you're just on the on the back end of of getting it running right, and now you're changing it all around again, which unfortunately I think is a necessary branding step because I think that Paramount Plus is a better brand. You know, I think it's a more recognizable brand. There's more properties that are that are that are part of it that are that are recognized, you know, associated with it. It's like Disney Plus, only not as good. Well, <laughs> it's like Disney Plus, but with different stuff. Right, the not as good stuff. It's like it's like Lego and 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 Mega Blocks. You know, they work together. They work together. But you know, one of them is Mega Blocks. <laughs> well, this week the rumor mill was churning out some good ones. But remember, captains, these are only rumors and should be taken with a grain of salt. For starters, Drew Dyke at Giant Frickin' Robot has heard reports that Paramount is moving forward with a fourth installment of the Kelvin timeline. 
But instead of it being a strictly theatrical release, Viacom CBS plans to release it simultaneously via its streaming service and theaters. According to their sources, Pine and the rest of the cast will be involved, although a new director has not yet been selected. The plot? Well, they're going back to the timey-wimey Pine Kirk meets Daddy Hemsworth. And as if that wasn't rumor enough, the article goes on to say that the studio is trying to get Shatner to appear as well. While we're on the topic of returning cast, Deitch has a separate report suggesting that Scott Bakula, who played Captain Jonathan Archer in Star Trek Enterprise, will come back to reprise the role on Star Trek Picard. According to the article, the studio hopes to, quote, bring Scott Bakula back by having him cameo in another Star Trek show and then leave the door open for him to headline his own solo series, end quote. On the topic of filming, while we're anxiously awaiting new Trek to grace our television screens, social media might help you pass the time, especially if you follow folks like actors, showrunners, you know, industry folk. You see, earlier this week, actors like Ethan Peck and Rebecca Romaine posted some innocuous social media updates. Random pictures from Canada! Then, unrelated, Star Trek Picard showrunner made a tweet that was quickly removed. In it, he wrote, Day one of many, with a little film camera emoji. So, if we piece it all together, we can assume that filming has begun for both Star Trek Strange New Worlds and Star Trek Picard. Now, if only we had release dates. So there's a lot to unpack here. Lots of rumors, right? We've got uh, rumors about a fourth movie, which as is always, uh, it's just always churning in the mill. And so I don't want to spend too much time on that because we'll always keep revisiting the stupid rumor about the fourth movie. I would like to say, I think that the delay of Star Trek Four is a happy accident for Paramount because of the new state of releasing content. And I think that if they had produced Star Trek Four and tried to release it in theaters, all of those contracts, forgive me if I, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong, Tony, but the the because I know that Disney is having some issues with releasing Black Widow on the streaming service because of the con the contracts with the actors. Oh, yeah. And so I think that if they had filmed Star Trek Four with the intent to release it in theaters, they may have they may be they may have had to hold on to it until after the pandemic and after theaters reopened, and the box office wouldn't have been nearly as much as they would have. So I think this might have been a happy accident for them to now produce Star Trek Four in today's climate specifically for a hybrid room. All right, so let's talk about the possibility of Jonathan Archer coming into New Trek world. Ha ha ha. How do we feel about that? Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, we're going to see Archer show up in Strange New Worlds because that seems like a handoff to me. That's uh, They're going to resume the tradition of someone from a prior series coming on and handing off the uh, uh, the show the show reigns, as it were, to uh, to the next uh, next iteration. Just like uh, Zephyr and Cochran showed up at the beginning of, of Enterprise, Archer's going to show up at the beginning of Stranger Worlds and, and you know wave goodbye to Captain Pike somehow. I think you're wrong. I think in the finale of Star Trek Picard Season 2, Riker and Picard go to the holodeck and watch an episode of Enterprise. Watch, watch an episode of NCIS New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> watching a rerun of Star Trek Enterprise on CBS, no, sorry, on Paramount Plus with the character from uh, from NCIS going, this show sucks. I've always hated it. That guy, that captain is no good. And then I'll turn it off. Yeah, that's that. So that leads us to our first community question this week. If Jonathan Archer were to show up on New Trek, 
Would you rather him be on Star Trek Picard or Strange New Worlds? In either case, what kind of story would you hope to see him involved in? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our social media posts as they happen on places like Facebook and Twitter. All right, enough with the rumors. We've got one confirmed appearance of a legacy Trek actor reprising their earlier role. On episode 360 of Comic Book Central, Billy Campbell, who you might recall, played Thaddean Okona on TNG's season two episode entitled The Outrageous Okona, let slip that he'll be returning to the role on Nickelodeon's Star Trek Prodigy. In the interview, Campbell goes on to talk about his experience on Star Trek and even teases about how his character will return. Links to the interview will be in the show notes. I love these kind of interviews. There are little snippets from these interviews that I, as an actor, listen to and pay attention to. And in one instance, he talks about his experience being on set for this filming and that he was new to Hollywood. How He, he talks about how he was in line to be Riker and even met, was in the same audition room with uh, Jonathan Frakes at one point. But one of the things that I really enjoy is when they tell stories about how, you know, they're struggling with a scene and they turn to one of their more veteran actors and they get a, a hint. And in this case, in this episode, which arguably is shoddily written. It's just, there's terrible dialogue. It's just a, it's just a hard episode. And he talks about that. He talks about how it was hard in one scene, in this particular scene with uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, how he's supposed to laugh. And he was struggling because there was just nothing in the script to guide him. And it (laughs) wasn't funny. So he's like, you know, Sir Patrick, can you help me? You know, how do I, how do I laugh? This is prior to him being a sir. He was probably just old British guy. Yes, you're right, you're right. And uh, he probably said, hey, Patty. Patty, what do you think? And he gave him this little, this little trick. And I I tried it out and it freaking works. So listen to the interview. And if you're an actor and need help on figuring out how to make yourself laugh when something's not funny, go, go listen to this interview. Go listen to this interview. What, can you tell me? Can you tell me the trick? So Because we need this. Anthony yeah, and I we, need this for the show. Yeah, we definitely need this stuff. when we're on the show with you. Yeah, definitely. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's see what's going on in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. Captains, we have all four of the 2021 legendary Klingon and Klingon adjacent ships on sensors. The Burrell Bird of Prey, the Vorcha Command Support Battlecruiser, together will bring honor to the Empire as the Excelsior Miracle Worker Heavy Cruiser and Temporal Support Cruiser represent Federation ships entwined with Klingon history. In-depth analysis will come after the bundle is available, but we have some thoughts to share while we wait. Also, Priority One wants to hear your opinions too. So analyze the ship stats in our show notes and be sure to let us know by replying to this community question. So what I find interesting about this legendary bundle is all the changes that are happening in real time. Mm-hmm. Anthony, you've been nodding your head about that. Tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing with this legendary bundle and all these changes. Well, as with any large bundle like this, when the announcement first comes, there's always the complaining of it's not as good as the previous one. It doesn't have this. It doesn't have that. It should have been this. It shouldn't have. It should have been that. Normally, in my opinion, there's a little bit of criticism to that 
is is true but for the most part cryptic can release whatever bundles they want and price them for whatever they want and we can do the math on whether or not we find value in these bundles or not and i think that's different for every person because a lot of times in these bundles it has uh ships and consoles and traits that are from previous bundles or previous ships and so the more you own the less value there is in it so there's always complaining and there's almost never anything done. This time, they not only made changes to two ships before this, then when they announced the Temporal Support Cruiser, the Enterprise C version, they also made changes to that ship. So they made a lot, and that's after they added some stuff to the bundle before they made changes to the specific ships as well. So they really listened to the criticism this time around, and they actually made some major changes to these ships and to this bundle. And a lot of people are actually surprised, me included. I think that this is a double-edged sword because, uh, yes, it's great that they listened and that they made changes, but I think that it sets a poor precedent that in the future, when people complain and they don't make changes, people are going to get more upset. Business-wise, they just want this thing to go out the door at this price point. And so throwing in some more digital goodies makes perfect sense to me. What they're looking for marketing-wise is X number of customers spending Y dollars before time Z. And if they can get that X number to go up without changing the Y number, you know, the, the, the number of people go up and the dollar figure stays the same, it's a win for them. Uh, so throwing an extra low buy, that just means you buy another ship, which means you play with more stuff in your paper doll interface there. You got to get the equipment for it, so you're probably going to need some upgrades. And so those upgrades are going to either be done with in-game events or you're going to buy some. There's no real downside to them putting something out there and going, you need more? You need more? Okay, a little more. A little more. Good? No? A little more? Okay, okay, a little more. Okay, okay you good? No, a little more? Uh, this seems perfectly reasonable to me, and I bet we'll see it again. We'll see it the next time they do a legendary bundle. But they didn't just add stuff. They actually changed the stats of the ship. They changed the traits yes. the ships come with. They added hull strength to some of the ships. Sure. They even changed the specialization of some of the ships, which right. I, I don't think they've ever done that. All they got to do is go into the back end and go extract this, put that in, change a couple of fields in their spreadsheet. It's not hard. I mean, maybe it might offend someone's balance design, you know, in that they that uh, one of the designers thought was the best idea, but it does. it's not hard for them to do. Well, I understand that, but I, I, it's just that they've never done it before. Like, they've never taken the criticism and actually made changes like this before at this level. And that's what's so surprising about this. If you're going to pay a top dollar, might as well get the best. I, As I'm looking through some of these ships, I think the one that's impressive to me or most applicable to my style of gameplay would be the Excelsior. I kind of like that this preview of the Repulse variant that they're offering. It kind of looks reminiscent of the uh, Sovereign, but I think the underside is still very much Excelsior, the hole, the bottom hole. I think I saw pictures of that on, on social media. More specifically, I kind of like the idea of the trait, the that's a big ship starship trait that gets unlocked when you hit five. level five mastery of the ship. Um, and it's whenever you activate a captain or engineering bridge officer, it boosts your maximum hull and damage resistance rating for several seconds. And I would definitely use that on an escort or a battle 
cruiser, right? Where I could still kind of be nimble and also be not a squishy glass cannon. Uh, so one of the things I was missing last year from all the legendary ships were the legendary enterprises, the B and the C. And of course, what we have here is, uh, uh, here's the C. It's Klingon adjacent because the Klingons blew it up over Narendra. So there we go. There's our, there's our tie in there for the Enterprise C. And then of course, uh, the Excelsior, that's a big ship. Famous closing line there from Scotty in Star Trek VI, which was also very Klingon centric. So that's a reasonable connection for including these ships in the Klingon bundle. But I think that also goes back to why they're making those changes because there's only four ships and two of them are Federation ships. So they're, I think, pleased to offer additional bonuses and positive changes when they're going to ask for that steep price tag. Previously on Star Trek Online, the Klingon Civil War went south as Ja'ula's truth bombs jump-started an Imperial polyfaction spree. In knowledge's power, Ja'ula's friends, and not you, join Tanavik on her run-and-gun vision quest through the Boreth Monastery. One bad trip leads to another as they resurrect the late Chancellor Lorel as an icon of her unification. What the Time Crystals left out is that her soul's in Grethor, so it's time to do a little soul-searching. Don't do Time Crystals, kids. It's bad for you. Leap of Faith closes the loop with the whole gang suffocating themselves flatliners style to storm Grethor's gates and liberate Laurel. You meet Gowron in the Rio's smoking area on your way to the Barge of the Dead and Feklar's throne. Gowron takes Lorel's place in Grethar because, I mean, the Rio. But Jaula makes a counteroffer. Maybe Jempox and Akar's souls instead? She was gonna kill them anyway. But first, you have a lot of demons between you and the waking world. House Reborn is another two-mission addition that you could call an episode. We won't, but that Targ's been beaten to death already. The Klingon Civil War only totals six missions, but might be Star Trek Online's most engaging story since the Iconian War ended. We're not dissing Victory is Life in any way, but make this a miniseries, and we're there with the popcorn. Three houses down, and it's clear Star Trek Online's writers aren't afraid of the narrative swerve. What separates this from what we see on CBS All... <coughs> excuse me... <coughs> Paramount Plus is that the hard pivots are plausible. This is the Star Trek we wish was on TV. But as we'll see later, that might not be all good. Talking about TV, with Chifo, O'Reilly, and Hertzler behind the mic, is anyone surprised that the voice acting is so good? It's an out-and-out -out pleasure to have them back in our trekky lives with or without the ridges. Jula and Adat Pa are mostly the game's invention, but Mara Juno and Rekha Sharma make them worthy of screen time. Pivoting to gameplay... <sighs> The missions are very different, so we'll address each individually, but in 10 words or less, more and more of the same. Knowledge is Power follows the traditional formula of warp in, things up, warp out. Space combat as captain yourself bookends a protracted slog as Jaula around the monastery. Jaula is also the strike from shadows type of matriarch, not a drag out brawler, making it even more tedious. Go back and watch the engineering room cutscene in secrets. See what she has with her? Mobs of goons providing cover fire and ripper chow. You will draw aggro as the largest damage source on your side and the hypo spray can't recharge fast. The curse of competence, I guess. Bless Cryptic for reinforcing hand-to-hand -hand combat's prominence in Klingon culture, religion, children's birthday parties, and the Kronos dating scene. The game just isn't suited to it. This is painfully apparent as you spam Jaula's single melee attack in one-button battles of attrition. If there's any upside, the cathartic thrill of every single kill you make 
is very Klingon. So, uh, immersion? In comparison, Leap of Faith is a lot easier. You're yourself again with your crew and the loadouts you're used to. Three ambushes in the afterlife precede the fun of clawing your way out to the getaway barge. The mission is capped by a final space battle to remind you that this is, in fact, still Star Trek. Not as bad as the first is damning with faint praise, but really, Leap of Faith just works better. The ambushes are sudden and believably short. Escaping Grethor is actually a plot point with a clear narrative start and end. The space battle can be a challenge even at normal, and not just from how long the portals stay open. Say what you will about Farang dreadnoughts as event ships, they're a lot more beastly when pointed at you. However, as associate producer Shane put it, quote, surface tension is long. It's always been long, but unlike the new missions, every step tells the story. Every stage of every fight advances the story. Instead of being long while you're in it, it just feels like it's big stakes and large scale. It's like victory is life's home in that way, end quote. House Reborn, on the other hand, struggles where Shattered did too. Gameplay is a grinding vehicle between dialogue boxes and cutscenes, but that's where the money is, and it certainly shows. As Shane pointed out, however, we know it's possible to have engaging gameplay that advances the story too. I love Star Trek Online, and I love the storytelling in Star Trek Online, and I love the storytelling in Knowledge is Power. The gameplay and the mechanics are atrocious. I it is I will never play that. I will never play it again. It was really for me. I really disliked it to the point where whenever I would approach a new mob or new mob would spawn in, I literally would alt tab out of the game and wait for the NPCs to kill everybody. That's how bad it was. You know, so the Boreth mission was a bit of a grind for me and it did not help that at the very end when I was battling not Gauron but Gauron, the NPC, the main NPC that the Gauron not Gauron somehow got pushed outside of the boundary of of the map, of the environment map. So all of a sudden, I'm I'm fighting and I realize, wait a minute, I'm not progressing here because the main bad, the main target is not dying, right? Is not losing health. And so I did what I have come to learn to do in Star Trek Online, which is, okay, then exit the map, get out of combat, exit the map and come back in or log out of the game and come back in. Well, my friends, I logged out of the game. I came back in and I had to start at Boreth from the start. Oh. I wanted to scream because, ironically, as Panda points out in his writing, compared to Grethor, Holy Boreth was the eternal torment. <laughs> yeah, it's true. No, I, 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 I was talking with my son the other day. He's been playing Star Trek Online for quite a long time as well. And we were, I'm, I'm going to use the word reminiscing, but reminiscing has a good connotation and it wasn't necessarily a good connotation. Y'all remember the, the Bajor yeah. uh, episode where you just wandered around Bajor? That was, that one took forever too. The advantage that mission had over this one is that you felt like you were just getting to know a place, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was like you go visit this thing and you're exploring the social map and they're showing you where this thing is and you're showing you where that thing is, giving you some lore and some background. The purpose there wasn't to do a usual Star Trek Online mission. The purpose there was to get to know a place and, and to get to know a bit of the background and the story. That was the... And so even though it was tedious and it took a long time, there was a point. And I didn't feel like that was clear with this mission, right? Like, it felt like there was some stuff in there several times when it was just there because we have to do this thing three times. 
you have to kill three mobs. Okay, check, check, check. We've killed three mobs. We have to put the key in three things. We have to defeat three enemies. Okay, check, check, check. We got the keys done now. Okay, now we have to go through four doors. The doors will open now. You must open the doors. Here I am saying the word doors again because I'm Sam Whitworth. Did you open the doors? Did you open the, the doors? Door? Close the door behind you. you I know? just got the latest album from the doors. <laughs> Exactly. So I mean, it just it just felt like there's a lot of box checking going on, and that nothing it could have been cut. You really could have cut it, and I wouldn't have missed it. And I and I that and it never felt it never felt like there was a real reason to do those things. Unlike the Bajor mission from back in the day. I think the problem with what was going on on Borath wasn't so much the story, but that it was interrupted so much by ground combat, by stuff you didn't need, and it was ground combat that you had to play as Jaula with with minimal power. Hours. That was the other problem. No familiarity. With so much yeah. fighting yeah. with so little abilities. And I wonder if they did that because of the recruitment event, right? The recruitment event is like, you know, kill a thousand b bajillion things in hand-to-hand -hand combat. <laughs> and this is a perfect Maybe. This is a perfect mission to do that with. However, Comma. unless you do the recruit event and you level up your Klingon, you're not going to be able to play this mission to take advantage of all that melee combat, right? So it, it was a like a putting a cart before the horse a little bit here in terms of using that as a recruitment objective and then having this mission. But here's the thing, though. I don't want to misrepresent what I didn't like about the mission. I liked being in Jaula's shoes. I liked playing as Jaula. I thought that pulling me into that narrative was fun. Just the execution yeah. the, in terms it, of the combat. Do it for oh, the narrative. Wow. Yeah. Do it for the narrative, right? Do it for the narrative purposes, but then keep that focus, right? If your purpose is to walk a mile in Jaula's shoes, then just walk the mile. We don't need to kill an army of, of NPC mobs because that's not the time point. Time and time again. Yeah. That's not, the, that's not the point of this mission. The point of this mission is to have a Klingon narrative experience like Bajor was. You were supposed to go down there and have yeah. a Bajoran experience. And that's and save the combat for the next mission where, like like we said during our review, it makes more sense. You're invading hell. You might as well bring some firepower with you and blow some stuff up. Because right. they're not going to care. Yeah. They're just going to respawn in Grethor. And I, I completely agree. In fact, I very much enjoyed sort of the bit with Kaelas at the beginning and the bit with Akar at the end. Those felt like narrative set pieces within that story, but it was the, the slog in between that really was just not interesting to me and and tedious beyond tedious and you know when they've done this in other in other episodes where you play as a different character there even when you play as um as the zinkethi character there's some fighting in that but it's still a, it's still a narrative and you're, you are experiencing this character and you're right there was not nearly as much as there was in this episode yeah. it just felt like that it's like this needs to be longer you need to have more scenes you need to have more check boxes which then and we had discussed this out with with Al, if you're going to do that, you need some map transitions in there for checkpoints. You just and have Elio, to. I just do, I do think that you can play the featured episodes at level ten, if I'm not mistaken. Possibly even when you're out of the tutorial. Now, whether you bought out or grinded for the long haul, odds are good that you have your Tamer now. Now, the weapon layout and the bridge officer assignments along with console allotments clearly mean it's an alpha strike ship. Right up, drop your cloak, let your cannons rip and slink into darkness while they're mopping up their Earl Grey. <laughs> or, and hear us out on this one, maybe not, the Tamer's enhanced battle cloak lets you fire torpedoes, mines, and captain bridge officer abilities without fully switching it off. Therefore, it's also a 
perfectly competent gravity well and or torpedo boat. Even with its low science console capacity. Yes, your cloak drops momentarily to light them up, but it's still considered active as traits are concerned. Just make sure your hull is up to it since you're spending most of the fight without shields. Do either of you have the uh, Tamir? Not yet. I've got three or four more days to go. I haven't played. I haven't played daily, man. Uh, if I want the ship, I'm going to have to buy it outright. I just haven't felt... I haven't wanted to log into the game daily and do the dailies. Too bad for you. I'm going to have a submarine. I'm going to make a submarine. I'm going to call mine the Red October. Okay, uh, I did just unlock it, uh, but I have not had a chance to uh, to play around with it. Although this, this suggested build sounds very fun and very unique. So I'll probably give it a try. Well, that leads us to our next community question. With this new Tamer build, will you be making a torpedo boat? If not, what kind of build are you using for this raider? Let us know in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community questions that we post on our social media channels. So, you have a stack of lockbox keys in one inventory slot and Zhatvash lockboxes in the other. You got a number one ground pet on your first try, by far the most important item you can get. Now what? You could always put the rest on the exchange, but Priority One Podcast thinks there's still value to be found. We think these prizes are worth the zen you'll spend to unlock. First up, the Dalkina Command Strike Wing Warbird, taking the highest risk for the highest reward? How very Romulan of you. Or you could cheat and get it off the exchange for a cool 690 million energy credits. Next up, the Jotvash Disruptor Weapons. Who doesn't like a weapon that adds its own stacking damage buff and reduces the target's damage resistance? Jotvash Venom Ground Trait? Kind of gross. Very entertaining. Plus, if your ground build is terrible, you'll get a lot of mileage out of the Death's Triggered AoE attack. From Hell's Heart, I spray at thee. The Choose to Live ground trait can be very handy for your Klingon recruit as they grind those melee kill objectives. Just do Borath a few times. You'll be good. Ugh. I got a couple of these ground traits. I'm not so sure I'll ever use them. The, the mm. spray. I never like AoE death things. It's like, no, no, man. No, just keep your death contained. You die. I want you to die. Don't spread it around. And lastly, in other gaming news, we all know mobile developer Scopely as the studio that brings us Star Trek Fleet command. And now, they're the creators of a new web-based 8-bit piece of Star Trek history. In a blog posted to the company site on February 11th, Scopely announced a new contest inviting players to beat Star Trek's infamous Kobayashi Maru scenario. Put your command abilities to the test against deadly dangers like Daggerpox, Hidden Poison, and of course, Klingon Ambush. But contest, do I say? I do indeed, Captains. If you're able to defeat this Kobayashi Maru faster than anyone else, you could win one of several big prizes. The first prize winner takes home a lifetime subscription to Paramount Plus and an original series Captain Kirk green wrap tunic as seen on season one. Second prize includes a $500 Eagle Moss ship collectibles package, a Captain Kirk standee, and a personalized captain's assignment letter to the USS Enterprise. Third prize wins a $200 Star Trek gift shop gift card and a Starfleet Academy personalized certificate. 
But you won't win. You can't win. It's a no-win scenario. After all, a connected Facebook account is required to enter the contest. Talk about a no-win scenario. That's no, easy. You just have to hack Facebook. You know. And, sure. And, and, That's you, the you, first thing I thought yeah, of. You just you just hack Facebook and then you go in and, and reset it so that the Klingons will blow it up. Done. But you gotta eat. You gotta eat an apple while you do that. Yeah. And apple. make a pew sound. Pew, have you guys tried pew, it? Pew. I I gave it a shot and it, it's definitely an old DOS kind of answer the question, choose your adventure. You know, game. It's cute. I did it once. I deleted my Facebook a year ago and I'm a loving life ever since. Fair enough. Fair Must be enough. nice. That's the news from Trek Games this week. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Brian Jones replied, streaming from iPad to Apple TV without placing a giant now playing words on the screen. I mean, how hard is it to make a functioning app in 2021? I don't know, Brian. It's hard, obviously. It's apparently difficult. I would like Paramount. to say that us non-Apple users don't have these problems. But there's no. But hold on a second. There, what do you, it doesn't matter though. It it. I think the the closest thing to a functioning interface is to do CBS All Access through Amazon Prime. I mean, that's I, why I do it. I don't have any problems. I have it on Roku and on Fire TV, and I watch through the website, and I don't have any problems anymore. I did have problems early on, but I don't anymore. From Instagram, Gray Wolf SCV writes in multiple profiles. Also from Instagram, friend of the show Jamal Taylor seventy two replies off viewing on Windows. Glenn Larson on Facebook replied, access to more of the back catalog of Paramount Picture Films. I cancel my CBS All Access when there's no new upcoming Trek. I'd like a reason to hold on to the subscription for the year. And you know what, Glenn? I agree. Because I thought about taking advantage of the 50% off for the entire year of Paramount Plus with no commercials. And then I took it back. I was like, you know what? I don't know when the next Star Trek is going to be. We know that Prodigy's coming in 2021, but we haven't seen any announcements about season two of Lower Decks. They just started principal photography for Strange New Worlds and Picard, and that's even unconfirmed. So when's the next Twilight Zone? I don't know when the next Twilight Zone is. The Stand is done. I finished watching The Stand. I'm kind of, you know, what what's there to watch? What? what why? Why? This is this is part of that whole, uh, the article we, we uh, covered for the uh, Trek It Out segment, We I only touched a little bit on there. That was a huge article with lots of different angles on it. One of the things they talked about was how they're keeping Showtime and uh, CBS All Access slash Paramount Plus separate. So it sounds to me like they're trying to keep their movie library for the Showtime service that they'll charge you separately for, and the TV and stuff are going to go with Paramount Plus. Which My is God. just, I mean, that's just dumb. But I'm sure they're going to make exceptions. Like, I imagine the Star Trek movies will wind up on Paramount Plus, and they'll probably filter some over every once in a while. But they're probably going to keep the bulk of the library for Showtime. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean New boy writes in and says love the show everyone i enjoyed listening to mary hooray to elio for teaching google that meat is the only way to spell the word m-e-a-t meat yes i still don't know what the well, proper uh, phrase is is it n n m-e-e-t ends meet when two ends making meet. ends meet yes right making Green ends, ends. Uh, okay and a recent review on Apple Podcasts from Starkate1001 says, This podcasting community are amazing. So accepting and welcoming. Love the conversations you all have on the different topics and amazing guests. Really like the longer episodes. Keep up the amazing work. 
and live long and prosper. Thank you so very much, Starkate, for leaving us a review on uh, on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already, please consider doing so. That's another metric in which you can help support the show by showing your support on places like the comment sections for YouTube, Twitch, and wherever you get your podcasts. And that wraps up episode 497 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. And here's a reminder of all the community questions we have this week. Everybody was afraid that we stopped asking them. And here we have like eight. First up, where do you think Captain Archer might make an appearance? Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, something new, and if so, what kind of story do you hope they tell about him? Our second community question, are you getting the 2021 Legendary Ship Bundle now that all the ships have been revealed and all the updates have been made? And finally, will you be using a cloaked torpedo build on your Tamara Raider? If not, what kind of build will you be using? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, Be sure to spend time with Winters, Kat, Thomas, Gray, and me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Stowe players, whether you are new or veteran. Follow us on our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with a world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors including Gray, Brandon, William, Daniel, Rand, Roscoe, Lennon, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer Jake and associate producers Shane and Thomas. Together they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our emergency host hologram, social media manager, and co-editor on our Captain's Vlogs, Anthony. You're welcome. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Rick Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Engage.
It's the bees. The bees it's, are just murdering it's it. The bee. I'm having a bee. I'm having a hard time with bees. It's also bacula back. It's like I'm it's about to go a into a rap. B deficiency. My bacula back rap. Boom boom. Sorry. I want my bacula, 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 bacula. And filling in for Kat this week because she's frozen down in Texas is Anthony. Let me do that again. Hi. Oh, come on. Good to be back. What a, that was good. On. That was good. What was that? That was, that was Sounds like energetic. the beginning of some quality real... banter there. That's Hi. Great. That's. that's... <sighs> Not as bad as the first is damning with faint praise. Just damning. You don't need to damn it. I will damning. It is damning. <laughs> damning. It's not damning. I will it's damning. damning. You're damning. Let me say it the way I say it. I say damning. Damn it. I do say damn it. Damn it. <laughs> damn it, Tony. Damn it. <laughs> in a blog posted in a bog. In a bog. In a bog. In a blog posted to the community site, sweet Jesus. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.